entirely sure what the youth are doing in the kitchen, but uh. <laughs> thanks, Teresa. Um, just before I uh, start, yesterday the elders um, went on retreat. So once a year, the ministry leaders and elders uh, go on retreats, a bit of an annual thing. So um, we go out to Riverton. Um, someone lends us their crib out there, and so that's where we spent the day yesterday. And, uh, we spent some time just seeking God, and then we spent some time discussing in the morning um, what, uh, what does success look like for us as a church? What, what does success look like? What, what would it look like for us to say, actually, we're, we're achieving what we, we think uh, we should be doing as a church? So it was a really interesting discussion. So one of the things I said to the elders is that uh, from August to August last year, we haven't actually baptised anyone. Uh, we're baptising Teresa tonight. And uh, we said, should that bother us uh, as a church? Should that actually uh, cause us to, to question what we're doing and how things are going? So we had a really interesting dis- discussion and debate around the things that we, we measure, the things that we look at as a church. Uh, you know, we tend to count the number of people that come in the morning, and uh, we count the offering. Uh, what are the things we're actually really concerned about? And in the afternoon, we spend some time brainstorming on our five priorities here. Uh, how can we grow in cultivating authentic faith? How can we as a church uh, and as a leadership, what can we do to help encourage a genuine, authentic faith? A faith that's real, a faith that... Uh, is, is not sort of super fluffy, um, but actually takes into account the, the realities of life, um, is deep, uh, is enduring. What does that look like? And then we talked about uh, what can we do to just help build great community here. And, and we know there's uh, the challenges not just to come here on a Sunday morning, but actually how can we encourage the building of great relationships? of great sort of connections between people. Um, and we recognize we've got some work to do there, that when people come into the church, um, you know, people want to be part of the community, but there's only a limited degree that that happens here on a Sunday morning. So what can we do to, to help people that maybe feel disconnected or come in new, not knowing anyone? How can we help uh, them feel connected? So we did some brainstorming on that. Um, we brainstorm on how to be intentionally intergenerational and and it's one of the, the areas we felt we've made some progress in the last year as a church uh, with some of the things we've done. Um, develop missional capacity. Uh, you know, I've talked about the fact that we've made a commitment to, to each year preach on, on um, how do we go about talking about Jesus uh, with our friends, with our colleagues. How do we go about doing that? I was getting my hair cut the other day and um, I was so excited. Um, I don't you know, trying to convert my colleagues at work's a bit tricky. Um, so, um, so, I, so they have a limited opportunity, but I was getting my hair cut, and um, the young, I, I go to uh, the same place every time, and there was a young girl cutting my hair, and she had a hat on, and I made some comment about her hat, just to make conversation, really. Uh, and, you know, very quickly, the conversation, um, totally unexpectedly, turned to things about God. She, she, t- she said... Um, she said she'd had her hair cut. Um, she'd been a model in a competition, um, one of those hairdressing competitions. And they'd done some really radical hairdo. 
for her. Uh, and so the hat was covering up the fact that the hair had been turned bright yellow and, you know, for this, well, she'd won this competition, but, you know, it was pretty radical to haircut. So um, she sort of had it all trimmed back, she had this hat on. But she made some comment about her, her life um, feeling like crap. Uh, excuse the language, but that's what she said. Um, and uh, so um, I asked her about that, and she began to share. And then she apologized and said, oh, I shouldn't be telling you all this. I said, oh, I'm a minister. I hear all this stuff all the time. Um, and, you know, basically she was telling me about, about uh, the fact that she was drinking, that she was... Um, she was trying to cover pain in her life. And then she said, do you have any advice? Um, so I talked to her about self-esteem and I, I talk, she, she talked about depression and I said, yep, can relate to that. Um, struggle with that myself. And we talked about self-worth. Um, so this conversation, having my hair cut, suddenly talked about God and self-worth and uh, you know, how she could um, be valued. Uh, how she didn't need to feel like this about herself. She didn't need to dull this pain uh, that she felt. And it was so exciting to see, just totally unexpectedly. Um, very exciting. We need to be praying and uh, believing for those opportunities to share about faith. As I left, I said to her, can you write your name down on a card? Which they often do anyway. Um, hoping you ask for them back again. And um, I said, uh, is it okay if I pray for you for a week? Uh, she said, yeah, sure. So, so my prayer is now, um, I might have to have regular, more regular haircuts um, <laughs> to go back. Not that I've got a lot to cut, but it um, seems to be getting less. But um, yeah, you know, my, my dream is that, that as a, a church community, we're regularly having those conversations and we're regularly uh, believing and trusting that we're going to see fruit, we're going to see people come to know Jesus Christ. And then we talked about serving the city and how we can continue to do that. And we've made some strides in that area. What can we do to be serving the city? God has placed us in the center of the city. What does it mean for us to be a city church? How can we serve? How can we serve uh, the SIT students that are coming? How can we serve uh, the wider city? Uh, so we brainstorm on that. So uh, you'll hear more about, you know, we also spent uh, half the morning just in worship and prayer and and since God speaking to us about some stuff. So you'll hear some more about that too. So that's what we did uh, yesterday. All right. Now, just because um, I've got a little bit of time, who can remember what the word for Jesus is in Mari? Not you, cat. <laughs> All right. What is it? Ihu karaiti. That's right. What about God. Attitude with a soft T. How do you say a tough, soft T? Te. 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 All right. Cat's my language guru. I'm hopeless at language. Um, I learned Latin and you didn't need to worry about pronunciation of Latin. Um, te attitude. Holy Spirit. That's easy. We sing it. We sing the song, don't we? What about Holy Bible? Oh, it's a bit more tricky, isn't it? Papera tapu, is that right? Papera, papera tapu, tapu holy, sacred. Okay, that's an easy one to remember. And good news? Rangapai. Rangapai. Ah, you. <laughs> cheating, Gavin, cheating. Come up here and tell them all off my heart. Well, no slide. See how you go. 
Right, by golly, it's hard to get good help. Um, all right, you've joined a firm, uh, I want you to imagine you joined a firm who um, has a busy managing director who uh, trusts the staff to get on with it, he's often away meeting new clients or he's overseas, uh, the day-to-day -day running of the firm is with the general manager, uh, it's his usual practice for the staff, including the general manager, to have lunch on Friday at the local pub. After a while, you notice that the lunches are getting longer and longer, and the amount of alcohol consumed is increasing considerably. The general manager doesn't seem to mind. Most of the staff accept his presence as authority to continue. What do you do as a Christian? Turn to the person next to you and discuss what you might do. All right. You've joined a firm who's busy managing directors overseas, uh, a lot meeting uh, new clients and whatnot. All right, you got the picture? Discuss what you do. New dilemma, all right? Just keep that one, keep that one parked. Right, you've been appointed team leader within the company. Uh, your manager is trying to secure a new contract, and he takes you along to introduce you to the client. During the course of the presentation, you realize the manager has grossly overstated both the experience and the capability of your firm and your team. You feel the company will have difficulty delivering the services to the client uh, that the client um, requires. What do you do? Okay, turn around to the person next to you and debate what you might do as a Christian. I'm not going to ask you what your answers are. You have a small business that you run from home, you make designer furniture. Okay, you make designer furniture. You've been working on an ornate bedroom suite for the last two months. That's going to be one-sixth of your income for the year, because your client is very wealthy. Must be. Um, and uh, the client is wealthy. He said there's more work coming your way making this bespoke sort of furniture. When you go to make out the invoice for the client, the client asks you to bill it to his company. Now, you think it's highly unlikely that the company would need a bedroom suite. All right? But you don't want to jeopardize future work or have a dispute over the work you've done. What do you do? One sixth of your income for the year. Talk to the person next to you. Sure. Every part of our lives can be an act of worship. And uh, we looked at, you know, when we work uh, as followers of Jesus, uh, we work for God. And then last week we had a look at some of the myths around work. Myth one was that spiritual life, my spiritual life and my work have no connection. And we said that is, that is just totally not right. We tend to separate them, but, but we said that work is spiritual because we're designed to work by God who works. And then we looked at the second myth that said that what happens on Sunday is more important than the rest of the week. This is a myth that us pastors like to propagate, uh, really. And um, the truth is that God wants to extend His kingdom throughout the whole world, and so actually you could argue that what happens on Monday is more important than what happens on Sunday. And then the third myth we had a look at is that some very special people are called by God, uh, missionaries up there, and then sort of pastors um, in the pecking order, and um, so on down. And we said this is just uh, a myth, that, that actually every person who's a Christian is called by God. We are all called by God. And our primary call is to follow Him. The fourth myth was that Christian ministry is more important than secular work. 
Uh, and again, this, um, this myth can be um, perpetuated by, by church leaders. Uh, I talked about the CEO who, you know, was, uh, ran a large company and the church took no notice of what he did until he suddenly volunteered to do Sunday school and then he was hauled up the front to be prayed for. The message he took was, they don't really care what I do during the week, it's only what I do on Sunday that counts. The reality is that ministry, the word ministry simply means to serve. That's the root meaning of the word to minister. So a minister is a servant. Ministry is service. And we can serve God in any context, in any place. And then the last myth we looked at is that some things are secular and some things are spiritual. And I said the truth is that the only thing that makes something secular is when we choose to leave God out of it. That's what makes something secular, when we take God out of it. God is interested in the whole of creation He made. But once we've established this idea that God is, is interested in my work, and the work is an act of worship, we come face to face with the practical realities of how do I live this stuff out? How in the context of my work, whatever it might be, you know, I'm faced with these complex decisions, and the Bible doesn't seem to give answers to them. And the first thing I want to say about the question of ethics in the workplace is it is complex. I do not want to minimize the complexity of this. And each workplace has its own uh, unique sets of potential ethical dilemmas. Uh, and there might not be simple answers. We live in an increasingly complex society. We live in a society that no longer has a base of what is right versus wrong, or what is true versus not true. I mean, you only have to look at the White House to see that. Um, you know, nothing is black or white anymore. And so, you know, the, the key principle of the, within the world is, well, it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. So we live in a world that's increasingly relative in terms of its understanding of tr truth. We live in a world uh, that, uh, where, where there's greed. The bottom line is one of profit. Will this make money? You know, and we see the absurd salaries that CEOs of some companies get paid. We see greed bringing down some companies um, due to greed. We live in a globalized world, and so you might well work for a company whose parent company is based overseas, and uh, the ethics of that country might be different. We live in a world of uncertainty. Uh, you know, they're saying that many of the jobs that you do today won't be around within your lifetime. Uh, that leads to a, a deep sense of anxiety. There's competition, and and competition has been introduced into not only business practices, but into social services and education and power and all kinds of things where uh, competition has been introduced, the underlying ethic being that saving money is more important than any other factor. And then we have the whole cyberspace sort of issue and, you know, a whole lot of ethics around that. Is it okay on my social media site to criticise my company? And there's all kinds of... Um, dilemmas around cyberspace and privacy and all kinds of stuff. 
the irony is that while it's got, the world has got more complex in terms of ethics, the reality is that ethics are more and more talked about. Um, often companies will have a value statement that talks about ethical principles. Many professions have ethical codes. Many industries have codes of behavior that they operate under. And it's into this kind of world that we as Christians are working. How do I live out my faith in this world where often things don't seem black and white? You know, I want to be sold in light, but I don't know how to do that. Are there some keys, some principles that we can navigate the ethical minefield? And I want to suggest this morning uh, one key principle and four tests that we can use uh, when we grapple with ethical decisions within the workplace. Now, I need to make a qualify here and, and simply say there is a danger in suggesting there are four tests we can use uh, that that might oversimplify the complexities of your workplace and the issues you face. However, the opposite is true, that if we say, well, actually, you know, my workplace is that complex and the issues are that complex, the Bible doesn't have anything to say, well, I don't think that is right either. Uh, we know that the workplace in, in New Testament times was very different, a lot simpler, didn't have many of the issues. However, I do believe there are principles and uh, things that we can apply from the Bible as we grapple with how do I act in an ethical way. The key principle I want to point out is found at the end of the book of Romans in the New Testament. Paul says we're to present our bodies as an act of worship. That worship isn't just about singing songs on a Sunday. Worship is about how we go about eating and sleeping and working and living life. And that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this is worship to God. And then he says in Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know more, uh, to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In the NIV, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. What Paul is saying is that we want to know what's right if we want to be able to present uh, all of our life and work to God as an act of worship, then we have to allow our minds to be transformed. That is how we think. We don't just think uh, the same as everyone else. We don't just go along with what everyone else is doing. That, that this is really talking about our worldview, our view of how we see the world, which is our worldview. Um, and the fact is that our worldview, or how we see the world, is often shaped by all these other things, by social media, by the internet, by uh, the, the news and, and what we see on TV. This shapes what we think is acceptable or not acceptable. And Paul was saying, uh, as we grapple with living this out in today's world, we need to allow our minds to be renewed. And this takes some serious effort. This takes some reflection on the Bible. This allows, allowing the Bible to soak into us until uh, the, our minds become in tune with God's. Might mean reading some Christian books that input and shape our minds. Might be being part of a small group, possibly even related to the industry that you're in, where you can be challenged on what is the right thing to do in these situations. They might think, oh, I don't have time to do that. It's okay for you, you know, you're paid to think. 
I don't have time to think, I don't have time to read books, um, but I think we do. I, I, don't, I think that's too much of a cop-out. I think we do. We, we don't have to watch TV every night. We can take an hour uh, a week and, and read a good Christian book or, or soak ourselves in the Word. Are we just going with the flow? If the Bible says that the key uh, to, to acting right and knowing what's right is the renewing of our mind, how much effort are we putting into the transformation of our minds so that we'll know how to deal with the ethical dilemmas within our workplace? So once we have this key principle of the renewing of our minds, allowing uh, God's truth and God's Word to, to change our thinking, our worldview. I think there are four tests, or at least four tests, uh, that we can apply to our decision-making in our place of work. And the first test I want to suggest is the love test. The love test. Which can be summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. So how would you feel if you were on the receiving end of this action? You know, if you were to feel it's unfair, it's probably not right. I'm not asking you would you like it, but is it fair? You might have to give a warning to an employee about their behavior. Now, they might not like it, but is it fair? Love, acting in love, is never dependent on the other person's response or behavior. The other person might have overcharged us. The other person might have ripped us off. The other person might have gossiped about us, stabbed us in the back. But that's not a reason to do the same. Don't pay, uh, repay evil with evil, says Romans. Can I smell something burning from the kitchen? I hope the fire alarm doesn't go off or Jeremy will be in big trouble um, in the middle of my sermon. Um, by golly. Um, you know, love recognizes that every person is made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God who deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. No one should be taken advantage of because of any handicap or perceived social standing. Now, some of us, some of that's picked up in our anti-discrimination laws. But am I dealing with a person in a way that recognizes they're precious in the eyes of God? Sometimes love can be at variance with uh, the, the, the market forces, as it were. If I get a bargain, is it because the other person is not aware of the value of what they're selling? If so, and I accept that bargain when they don't really know the value of what they're selling, am I treating that person with love? Love would demand, surely, a fair price. So the first test is a simple one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Is the action uh, one that could be characterized as that of love? The second test is a trickier one, and that is the authority test. Now, the authority test... Um, the first authority in anything is, is God, and what does the Bible say about that particular situation? Uh, now, obviously, you might say, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about the realities of my situation. But maybe it does. I read an estimate that said that uh, businesses lose 20%. It seems really high, but that was the low end of the figure. They can lose up to 20% of, of their time, uh, workers' time, is wasted, is stolen, by employers, employees mucking around and doing whatever and going on emails for their private. Are we actually stealing time? We, we, know, we would know the authority of the Bible. We know the Bible would say, don't steal. 
uh, are we stealing but, uh, from our workplace? But uh, the Bible says we're to respect those in authority. Romans 13, 7 says we're to respect the government. So does this decision respect the government and what's rightfully theirs in the laws of the land? When we rebel against authority, uh, the Bible says we rebel against God. But Paul goes a step further and he says, not only are we to respect the government, we are to respect our bosses. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you'd serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. And as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm. And so you're working for the Lord rather than people. Now you might object and say, you don't know my boss. <laughs> I can't respect my boss. He's a, you know? um, but Paul was speaking to slaves. Bosses of slaves weren't, you know, all upright and good citizens. Is the action that I'm taking respecting my boss? How often have people grumbled behind the boss's back or joined in the, joined in the, the banter, uh, running down our boss? It's a sort of almost Kiwi tradition, really. Obey your earthly masters with deep respect. Work with enthusiasm. Try to please them at all times. It's quite a culture change to say, I want to honor my boss. He might be terrible. He might be whatever, but I want to honor him. I want to make him look good, as it were. Does the decision you're making honor those above you? That doesn't necessarily mean that we can't go on strike. doesn't necessarily mean we shouldn't report our boss at times to a higher um, authority. doesn't mean at times it's not right to be a whistleblower. But is this decision respecting God-given authority within my workplace. Third test is the peace test. Do I have a sense of God's peace concerning the decision I'm making? Now, again, this is slightly tricky because peace can be subjective. Um, Paul says in Romans 14, 6, when you're dealing with ethical issues or tricky issues, we need to be fully convinced in our minds. James uh, 1.5 says, you know, if we lack wisdom, then we're to ask God for it. But it says that when we ask for wisdom, we're not to be double-minded. What it's saying is when we're asking for God's wisdom, we're not asking for God's opinion. Oh, God, what's your opinion on this matter? <laughs> you know, when asking for God's opinion, so it's, oh, well, I've got God's opinion, I've got this opinion. No, no, what he's saying is when we seek God for wisdom, we're seeking it knowing that God is uh, God Almighty. Uh, who's the one that we're following? That's what he means, without being, not being double-minded. Philippians 4 says, you know, we're to bring everything to the Lord in prayer, and as we do that, uh, we're not to worry about it, but we will know the peace of God beyond understanding. Now, peace might not be taking the path of least resistance. It might not be easy. It might mean our job is at risk. It might mean we might not get a promotion. But is, do I sense God's peace in this. God is saying, this is the right way to walk. And then the fourth uh, test that we can apply, and this one is often neglected, uh, and that is the witness test. We often, because we're sort of almost conditioned to say, well, what about me? What, what's, what's the effect on me? 
uh, we're very sort of self-centered. But, but Paul says, actually, we're to consider our actions in light of the impact on others. Colossians 4 says, Be wise in how you act in the world, making the most of every opportunity. 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I don't do anything, this is Paul speaking, that would hinder the work of Christ. So this text is about asking the question, how will this impact what others think of the church and Christ? What impact will this have? Uh, when I was in Topor, I, uh, within our church, we had a number of people that ran their own businesses. And, you know, Topor was a relatively small place. So sometimes I'd be out, you know, in the work, uh, out wherever, uh, tennis club or wherever, and somebody's name would come up um, in conversation. And, uh, you know, might be someone I know, and, you know, they were complaining because this person hadn't paid their bills on time or this person had not done a good job, you know, fitting their, their bathroom or whatever, and, uh, you know, you're embarrassed. You didn't want to say, well, oh, they, go to, they go to our church, you know, they're in a position of authority in our church, you know. You didn't want to say, you know, it was embarrassing if they knew that you knew them and they went to the church, you just wanted to crawl under the table. Um, but equally, it worked the other way too, that sometimes you'd you know, be in conversation and someone would come up and they'd be singing their praises, but what a fantastic teacher that person was, what a fantastic job, or they went out of their way uh, to do that. Oh yeah, they go to our church, you know, <laughs> immediately claim them. Um, so, um, but, you know, we underestimate someone's reputation, the impact of that. And, you know, at times, you know, people's actions in terms of their business were hindering the work of Christ. You know, they, people knew they went to church, they oh, these Lincoln Christians, you know, they're always the last to pay their bills. And People are watching and looking, they're wondering, what is this church about? What is this Christianity about? We need to ask the question, what will this action show to people about God? What impact will it have on the church? Will it hinder the credibility of the church? What impact will it have on other Christians, maybe new Christians or young Christians? So much damage has been done by failure to simply think, what is the impact of this? Because we are ambassadors to Jesus Christ. So, so what impact is it having on the reputation of God and the church? So these are four tests that we can use. Now, they're not exclusive. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are others that you could potentially uh, think of. They might not answer all the questions in every situation, but I think that they would cover a majority if you were to ask those four questions. The love test, you know? Is this treating the other person as if they were Jesus? How would I feel if I was on the receiving end of this action? Is this action respecting this person as someone who's loved by God? Does this action that I'm taking or about to take, does it respect the authority of the Bible? Does it respect the authority uh, of the government, the laws of the land, regardless of what you might think about the laws? And does it respect the authority of my boss, regardless, again, of what you think of your boss and what he's done or she's done? Third test, do I know God's peace? Have I actually sought God and asked for wisdom, brought this matter to Him, 
and know I have a deep peace about what I'm doing. And fourthly, will my actions, will it hinder the work of Christ? Will it hinder the reputation of the church? Or will it help it? What message am I sending out by my actions to those around me, to the community around me? I think those four tests would certainly be a great start in dealing with those ethical issues. And you can think through the scenarios that I talked about uh, at the beginning that I made up. And and I'm sure within your context, you've got um, different sort of questions, different sort of uh, dilemmas to deal with. Some of them very complex, but my starting point would be to say, run the decision you're making through those four tests and see what answer you come up with. Let's stand for prayer. I'm sure there are some people here um, this morning that are facing uh, some tough decisions. Uh, some tough stuff within their workplace, whatever that might be, voluntary or paid. Um, In fact, you can use uh, these tests for any kind of decision you're making. Um, And so I I just want to particularly pray for you. You you know who you are if you're grappling with some tough stuff at the moment, wondering, how do I live out my faith? God, I want to lift uh, each one of us to you, but I particularly want to lift those who are struggling with tough decisions um, and tough issues within their workplace. God, I pray that you would uh, give them, Lord, the, the insight, the wisdom to know how to act. Lord, you know that they might be under pressure to act in ways that are not right. God, I pray that you would uh, you just give them, look, God, a sense of what you were saying and, and the courage to better act on that. Lord, if they're genuinely uh, unclear and it's just not at all clear what to do, I, I pray, look, God, you'd show them a way forward. And Lord, I pray for each of us in our workplaces that, Lord, we would consider how our actions are reflecting on you as your ambassadors, what messages we're sending to those around us. I pray particularly for those in leadership and who are, have got significant responsibility and authority. God, I pray that you'd enable them to use that well. I pray for those who have got a boss who's not the best, Uh, boss in the world. Uh, God, I pray that you'd show them how to honour their boss um, and honour the the role that you have placed them in, regardless of his behaviour. God, I pray that wherever we go this week, that we would be that light shining in the darkness. We'd be that light, Lord God, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, wherever we might be. 
talking in the shop, God, that we would be light in darkness. And I pray, Lord God, for more of those conversations, those God conversations, that would just arise. Uh, God, and, and as they arise, God, give us the words to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, please.